This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 122 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is part of the family of the Horse Radio Network, and today we have a very special guest, the incomparable Priscilla Presley, telling more about her passions and her love of the horses and what she's doing about that. And we also have a veterinarian, Joanna Robson, who is also in her own way doing, she's actually on computer passion overload with her horses as a veterinarian. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings. Debbie, spring is almost here. Oh, are you ready for (laughs) spring already? We're talking mid-January here, Jen. I don't know. That's a little bit of a longing. And you're in Florida. Well, we we record these things a little bit early. And when this goes on air and everybody gets to enjoy listening to Priscilla and her lovely voice and Dr. Robson, it will be the beginning of February. And for me, that means it's almost spring. (laughs) As soon as we get to January 31st. Spring starts for me. Spring is starting for you. <laughs> but you don't want that, though, because you're in Florida. And okay. I thought this is this is the good time of year. Everybody else longs for spring, but that starts to looking like summer as soon as spring hits, doesn't it, for well, you? And that's you know, in Ocala, we are in Ocala, Florida, which is basically mm-hmm. smack in the middle of the state. Yeah. Springtime is really quite lovely. Oh, okay. It, right. The weather really doesn't get super toasty warm, with the exception of the occasional day in January. Um uh, Actually, from from my point of view, at least, late summer and early fall are the toughest. Oh, is that right? That's when it's still hot and muggy and yet. The evenings don't cool off. Yeah. But the rain tends to taper off. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're probably, from my point of view, the toughest. We've been here for about seven years now. And I think August, September, October, that's the months that, oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get through it, huh? Got to yeah. get through it. But hey, first world equestrian problem right there. Exactly. Exactly. We can't, we can't whine too much. We in California and Florida, I think the rest of the country will hate us. But, but we've got Priscilla Presley on today. Aren't you excited about that? I love listening to Priscilla. Now, I've not been lucky enough to be the producer for any of the interviews that you've done with Priscilla. Glenn Glenn, sometimes. Glenn somehow <laughs> he gets them all. I think there's a conspiracy on there, but I always listen to them because she's one of those people when you get done having a conversation with her or listening to an interview with her, you feel hopeful. She, she, she lifts you up. She's that kind of a person. She is, you know, there's no reason she has to be out there doing it. It is purely her heart that is out there working for horses. And that's why we wanted to share this again. We've got also Marty Irby, who is a friend of ours now for, oh, since the early 2000s, who has really had a, a wild ride of, and, a, and a great story. And he is on to help her do what he needs to do in Washington while she can be in Los Angeles, which is nice. Well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great. They're two, they're two advocates coming oh, yeah. from two oh, yeah. different, very different backgrounds. Really laying it out on the line, yeah. too. So I'm excited. And, I, you know, it's actually one thing that was fun having Glenn do this is that we did the Radiothon, too. So if people want to listen to the other part of this interview that we did at the same time, we did the, the Radiothon for 2019, which was uh, early December, with Glenn. And he was a hoot. And so was Priscilla. And those two got to giggling. And it's really worth going back and having a re-listen, one to if faves. you... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, really fun. So, so for that reason, it was fun to have Glenn on. Yeah, so. he's a hoot, and he's we're we're both big fans of the Elvis legacy. Yeah, we we kind of missed out on the music generationally. We were about you know ten years too late for to be really in on music, but the legacy and what Priscilla is trying to do with that is mm-hmm. we're we're both giant fans as you are, mm-hmm. and our second guest today. Dr. Robson, also trying to help humans and horses and their relationships together. She's coming at it from a very different angle and in helping horses and humans and the relationships with something she calls ECPR, which is CPR and E. Yeah, I think that stands for emotions. 
And it really is going to get your brain waves going. So you're going to put on your thinking cap for that one. But first this from our title sponsor, Omega Fields. The world's best omega-3 supplement for horses. Coach Jen here, producer of the Horsemanship Radio Show. Horses need to stay hydrated year-round, and seasonal challenges like excessive sweating in summer or extremely cold water that they don't like to drink in the winter put them at risk. And one of the ways I help my thoroughbred Nigel drink more any time of the year is to give him sweet water. What's sweet water? Well, it's easy. You just add some omega-stabilized rice bran to a pail of water. I put about a half a cup in a five-gallon bucket. He loves the taste, and it's good for him, too. Plus, omega-stabilized rice bran from Omega Fields is shelf-stable, so one bag lasts me a very long time. Check out omega-stabilized rice bran and the other great products from Omega Fields at omegafields.com. Since 1979, Priscilla Presley ran the Presley Estate, a phenomenally successful organization consisting of the famous Graceland Mansion, a worldwide licensing program, merchandising, music publishing, and television and video projects, too. Today, Ms. Presley sparkles as she describes riding horses at Graceland and how much those horses meant to her and Elvis. Well, welcome. I am so excited to do a an interview, a follow-up interview with Ms. Priscilla Presley and Marty Irby. Marty Irby is the executive director of AnimalWellnessAction.org and a lot of you involved in the Tennessee Walking Horse Advocacy know his name. And Marty, you and I go back a few years, don't we? Absolutely, Debbie. Thank you and your dad, Monty, so much for all the years, more than 15 years now together. I know we've been working on this issue and to Priscilla, We've been working together on it at least five or six years, and you both have just been such a shining light for the Tennessee Walking Horse. Well, I hope we can do some more. Priscilla, um, you got involved with the Tennessee Walking Horse effort in order to make changes, and what what tugged at your heart to do that? Elvis's uh, horse was a Tennessee Walking Horse bear, and he had a beautiful gait, he's a beautiful horse, a beautiful creature. And when I found out about soaring on Tennessee working horses, I was absolutely appalled what was happening. I mean, it was it, it was uh, intentionally inflicted pain on the, on their legs to force the horses to perform an exaggerated high stepping gait to obtain an, you know a truly unfair advantage at horse horse shows. Mm-hmm. So. They use chemicals, caustic chemicals that are applied uh, on the horse's legs and then the plastic wrap that is used to cook the chemicals directly into the horse's flesh for several days. And then chains are attached to strike the wounds and screws and nails and are driven, you know, into the sensitive tissue of their hooves with the purpose of causing pain that will cause the horses to raise their legs and perform this exaggerated gait. And these horses, you know, are subjected to constant severe pain. And when I found out, you know, that this was being done, I could, it, I could hardly believe it because mm-hmm. it's just, you know, it, it's just unheard of. I mean, when you know that, that pain is being inflicted on mm-hmm. any animal, but in this yeah. case, in this horrendous way. So, of course, I wanted to get on board and do something about it. Great. I'm so glad you did. You're a huge voice, such an advocate for horses, and they can't speak for themselves. So, And you fell in love with horses as a child, which just adds the story to me. I know you, yeah, you, you appreciate them for some of their qualities. Can you explain that to us, too? Well, when I was a, a little girl, I always, you know, loved horses. I used to draw horses. I loved Flicker and Fury. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> These are television shows back in the day. So great. And yeah. then I started drawing them, and, and then I just fell in love with them, the beauty of them, and just the image of them, you know, and watching the television shows. And then I lived on, on the Air Force Base because um, my father was uh, in the Air Force. And, and there was a farm in the back of where we lived. And I used to go and pet the horses and just became really interested in them. They were not only beautiful, but they were very, they were very calm. They were, you know, they would walk up to me, nudge me to pet them. And I had a relationship with about three or four of the horses. And ever since then, I've carried on this love affair with them to just take care of them and be a voice for them. 
Yeah. Yes, you have. You've been great. What do you think, why isn't there a movie about this? I mean, you're living in sort of media land in the Los Angeles area. There have been such beautiful movies like Seabiscuit and Secretariat. They're true stories. Can we get a movie made about this? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. It's the first time that's ever come up. But you know what? Something should be done about it. I think mm-hmm. something should be done about, you know, what they're... What, and I think it should be a story of education as also a, you know, a very caring movie um, about these horses. I am... Yeah. I believe, you know, in my my relationship with him as well. But people really need to know what goes on behind the scenes and what happens to these what horses. Do you, yeah, so, what do you say to somebody ahead. who says, oh, no, that's that's not happening anymore. That's archaic. Well, no, it's not archaic. I mean, it's... Um, this has been going on, you know, for a lot of decades of illegal and unethical behavior. I mean, especially, you know, it's the brand of the Tennessee walking horse. I mean, it's it's a corrupt, a very corrupt and very cheating industry. Mm-hmm. And I think that, um, you know, they've tried different ways of trying to disguise it, but this has got to stop. I mean, truly, uh, we have morally, you know, Completed trainers intentionally inflicting pain on these Tennessee walking horses to force them to perform these exaggerated high-stepping gates. So they they try to get away with it, but um, they and they have. So it's really time to put a stop to it. It is, yeah, it is. I I know that you've talked openly about Elvis and Tennessee walking horses at Graceland. They have a beautiful natural gait, don't they? They're born that way. They do. Absolutely, they do. Yes, they were born that way. And they're, you know, but you, these trainers, these owners in, this, in the industry have this by, by using the caustic chemicals that I just explained, um, want it bigger, want it more, you know, want, it a, 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 want the horses to have a higher stepping gait. And it is beautiful to watch. There is no doubt about what they go through for that. Is um, is very very painful, and yeah. it's when you see the actual technique that is done to to do this to these horses is is unbearable. It's yeah. unbearable to watch, and to say that they don't have the pain is ludicrous. Uh, Truly, it ludicrous. is ludicrous. Yeah, it is. It, we we grew up with this too. So my dad, Monty Roberts, you know, always professed nonviolence because he was declaring that there was pain in these horses and the fear, um, you don't get the performance you want. So for him, it was an upside down world. Number one, it's really bad for the partnership (laughs) and to create pain. But, But not only that, you know, if people really wanted to create amazing performance, breakthrough performance in a horse. That's why the greats really don't use, I mean, in, in other industries, don't use the pain, right? Yeah, right, right. horse lovers go there. Right. The stacks, exactly. You know, the stacks and the change that they've been in place in their current form since 1980s. And when you look, I mean, it's grotesque and archaic. And you look, they look like something medieval. Yes. I mean, you, you, and you've probably seen it, uh, Debbie. It's mm-hmm. just, um, you can't. There's no way you can say it doesn't cause, cause any pain. Yeah, yeah, I can't unsee it either very well. So I, I, yeah. I don't advocate people. I, I advocate people go and make a difference. And that's where I'll bring Marty in here to tell us, tell us, please, how we make a difference. What do we need to do? Well, thank you both. And Debbie, we're so fortunate to have you, your dad, and Priscilla as advocates on this issue. Uh, Priscilla came to Washington again early this year in January and actually helped us get the PAST Act launched. And we were fortunate enough to come up with a plan. We met with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, U.S. House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, And through a new mechanism, which allowed the bill to come to the House floor, we finally got it to a vote after six years. It passed by a margin of 333 to 96. We had every single Democrat vote for it, and we had the majority of Republicans by four vote for it. So we're clear in the U.S. House, and now we have the uphill battle and the hurdle of the U.S. Senate, where, of course, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell opposes the legislation along with the senators from Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn, and Lamar Alexander. So what we really need is for people to call the U.S. Senate at 202-224-3121 and ask their senators to co-sponsor S-1007, the Senate Pass Act. that's led by U.S. Senator Mike Crapo from 
Idaho. And also check out our landing page at www.animalwellnessaction.org. We've got a lot of information there about the PAST Act, and they're going to continue updating that. I do feel good about the White House. Fortunately, we've had a good relationship with Laura Trump, the president's daughter-in-law, who's been very helpful on a number of issues. I don't really feel like we have any obstacles there. So the Senate is our challenge, and we need folks to help us get it through there. What, what will the, when my friends ask me what's the the bill do what's the you know what's the whole past act about what will it actually change what do you say well I think the most important thing that you're well aware of Priscilla is where as well is the elimination of the ankle chains around the horse's feet and the large stacked shoes that they show them with that are major contributors to the soaring process we want to see the Tennessee walking horse in its sound and natural form competing. And then secondly, it eliminates the industry's self-policing program, which the USDA OIG report of uh, 2010 deemed uh, corrupt and ineffective. And it will replace that system with licensed inspectors by the USDA that are subcontractors at very little cost to the federal government, um, not enough that it's considered significant in any way in Congress. And then third, it increases the penalties uh, in the Horse Protection Act for violations to a felony, which will finally, hopefully, create a deterrent for these trainers to stop soaring these horses. Mm-hmm. But they've been arrested. Marty, I've seen... You... Oh, go ahead, Priscilla, please. Marty, when I was there in January, um, they had the actual stacked uh, of, uh, um, shoe in front of me, and I picked it up. And how much did you say that weighed? I think that was probably 12 or 14 pounds. And that same shoe, actually, Congressman Ted Yoho, the leader of the PAST Act in the House, on the Republican side, he held it up on the U.S. House floor for Congress to see and said the same thing. I mean, it's, it's pretty heavy. It's unbelievable how heavy that they, that the, of a shoe they put on these horses. And they and, leave them on. You know, huh? They leave them they do. on. They're on yeah. day and night. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know what it does to the tendons and the whole stretch there, too. It just looks, you know, so unnatural. Yeah, it's very detrimental to the oh, horse's hooves and, ten- and tendons as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now you go, Priscilla. And, uh, when you see the actual video of the soaring process, what these, the pain that these horses go through, it's beyond belief. Yeah. So yeah. You can't oh. tell me that there's no pain. Yeah. Well, the chemicals alone, just uh, nobody would want them on their hands. Or their children's hands, or their animals' hands. Well, obviously, I, they can say it's no pain. It's not happening to them. Yeah, <laughs> the trainers and. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I just can't believe. Is this going to Marty for the Tennessee Walking Horse to to evolve? Let's say that we pass this, and the trainers all of a sudden have a change of heart. That's wonderful, because they don't want to get arrested. Uh, will the showing going on, it, it, you know, a lot of people worry that when you make a change that, oh, gosh, we're going to destroy an industry or we're going to lose people's jobs. But there's flat shot showing and there's a whole Tennessee walking horse industry out there that doesn't do what we're describing, right? That's right. Yeah. You know, it will eliminate the very small percentage, which is the big lick pain based segment of the industry. But the flat shot horses that are sound in their natural form, they can do rail classes where they're judged for their gait. They can do a fenting. They can do jumping. They can do pole bending. There's so many different things that they can do. And that's what we want to see. And the horse is the greatest breed, in my opinion, of all of the breeds out there. But it's never been given the chance because it's had this stigma of soaring for, you know, 60 plus years. And I think it'll finally be set free and be able to thrive and grow like it never has before. Wonderful. Wonderful. What, what does, what is, I don't understand what the argument against it is. What do people say is the problem then? If it's not, if that change is not going to be bad for the long term, why are they holding off so long to do this? Well, from my experience, you know, it's a group of people who are in their 60s and 70s and 80s that just looking at the short term and want to maintain the status quo because they're addicted to this big lit gate. And they actually see that as the Tennessee walking horse. They don't recognize the rest of the breed. They, because they just have a very small, narrow mind focused on middle Tennessee and a small region, they only see the Tennessee walking horse breed as that big lick gate. And it's unfortunate, 
but they've maintained control over all of the power at the World Championship, Tennessee Walking North National Celebration, and have garnered back the power at the breed registry, the Tennessee Walking Horse Breeders and Exhibitors Association. So, you know, even when we pass the PAST Act, I think that group will still try to store horses. And mm-hmm. all we can do is hopefully just keep pushing harder and harder to enforce the laws to make sure that doesn't succeed. I think it's what's sad for, for me, actually, is that we have U.S. Senate, you know, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. He continues to side with the post-touring coalition and in Tennessee and Kentucky, and U.S. Senators Lamar Alexander and Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee, um, mm. and they're blocking uh, the past act from, from the vote. So these, these are people from the South that are doing this. And for me, and, you know, it's, it's a big boys club. I mean, mm. it's, it's, they're staunch on how they feel about this and, and uh, really blocking the vote. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like the old, um, you can tell me I'm wrong, but you can't tell me that my daddy was wrong and my daddy before him because they were the greatest horse trainers ever. And, and that's got to change. It's got to change for all horses, frankly, because I, I get emails still with people, you know, my trainer wants to tie a leg up and, uh, you know, do all this stuff. And people are in denial. A lot of people are in denial. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And I, I find it just as appalling because it's so, you know, when you watch the, the gate of the Tennessee Walking Horses at the big celebration, of course, and you go and you, you see a normal show where the, the horses are doing their natural gates, you go, wait a minute, how can that be? How can mm-hmm. that go from their natural gate to this huge, big lick? I mean, where they're lifting so high, and it is beautiful to watch, but not it's it's no more. You can't justify it anymore when you see it um, and not what they do. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Marty, is there any other convincing we need to do? Because we'll do it. We'll, we'll fight for it. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Priscilla may want to add to this, but the senior senator from Elvis's home state of Mississippi is U.S. Senator Roger Wicker, and he's the chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee who has jurisdiction over the PAST Act. So even though our opposition is in the leadership in the Senate, he really has control over whether we would be able to get a hearing in Congress or not, uh, or be able to move the bill out of committee to the stage where it is actually solely up to the leadership like Mitch McConnell. So I know we all have some ideas, and if it takes going down to Tupelo, Mississippi and holding a rally or a protest uh, right. to make sure that Senator Wicker pays attention, I know a lot of folks are willing to do that. Priscilla may want to add as well. Right. No, if that's what it takes, you know, I think that that can, that can probably definitely happen. Okay. We're, we're ready. We're ready. And, and, and I think to mobilize the, the entire United States, if not the world, but I mean, we really are a very U.S.-based problem, but I would love to see more um, in the media about uh, these beautiful horses and just more knowledge and more education and maybe a movie. There is a movie. There's a movie being made. It's called about Awesome t- Gal. It is. It's about go. soaring. It's called Awesome Gal. Some folks that bought a horse that had been soared down in Virginia, not far from here. They have a trailer that's won, I think, eight or ten different awards at some of the film festivals. So we may see something there. There you go. There you go. Maybe we can get some powerful people behind that. That would be incredible. Let's do that. Yep. It would be. Yep. Is there anything else, Priscilla, that you want to say for these beautiful horses? No, I think actually we we said it all. I mean, um, they need help. They need a voice. They need yeah. us all together and uh, stand behind them and stop this um, this horrible thing called horse soaring. Yeah, thank you. And uh, hopefully the, the voices are out there listening. Yeah, thank you. Well, we'll certainly share. So thank you for being on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for being the amazing advocates that you are. Um, may God give you lots of energy to keep it up because, uh, you, you know, there's very few pillars and you two are two of them. So I appreciate you. Thank you, Debbie. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you, Debbie. You are as well, and we greatly appreciate it. Hi, Carol Herter here, president of Cavallo, home of the world's most trusted and popular hoof boots. You know, one of the most interesting parts of what I do is the many horsey stories I get to hear. Most of them are really uplifting, 
Some are stories of challenges, and a few are downright sad. Recently, a wonderful woman took the time to approach us at a show to share a story about her horse who went down in quicksand. It started out as a really scary story. We were holding our breaths, waiting for the outcome, and it turned out wonderful. They winched the horse out relatively unscathed, albeit, you know, a little traumatized, and everyone standing around were super amazed that he still had his cavallo hoof boots on. Scary story with a good ending. Another testament to cavallo. If you don't have a pair for your horse, it's time. Cavallos are easy to put on, easy to take off when you want to take them off, and they stay on. They stay on in all terrain. Cavallo, the world's most trusted hoof boots. Recognizing behavior as signs of pain became Joanna Robson's platform early on. She's lectured at major events like Rolex in Kentucky, World Equestrian Games, Equitana, Equine Affair, and all kinds of groups, small and large, to spread the message. As a veterinarian, she learned that being present with animals in pain and suffering can take a major toll on her, something that was not discussed in veterinary school. Observing warm-up arenas where horses were being subjected to less-than-desirable training methods becomes hard to see and feel. This led to classic compassion fatigue and burnout. So Joanna set out to understand, study, and disseminate information on this so her colleagues wouldn't have to go through the same thing, which has led her to many new modalities, such as eCPR. Well, welcome, Dr. Joanna Robson. I'm glad to have you first time here on Horsemanship Radio. How are you? I'm very well, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you today. You have some interesting things going on in your life, girl. You are a busy lady, and I love talking to busy people because they not only get a lot done, but they're fascinating people. And you said something to me on a call we had recently about something that you're into called eCPR. And being a vet, I thought, oh, for sure, it's going to be something to do with our horses, but it's really not. It's something to do with your living. Tell me about eCPR. That's right. I'm super excited to to talk to you about eCPR today. And and you're right. Most people, when I first bring that up, think, oh, it uh, must be something to do with cardiopulmonary resuscitation. You're a veterinarian. And the truth is, it it is, but it's actually emotional CPR. Mm -hmm. And I was introduced to emotional CPR at the University of Tennessee College of Veterinary Medicine earlier this year, in February. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. Uh, I was visiting family and wanted to visit the university and some staff members there and decided I would attend this seminar. And within the first couple of hours, it just completely, honestly, it changed my life. Mm-hmm. And Emotional CPR is a program of the National Empowerment Center. It's a public health education program. And the premise is really uh, empathy, embodied listening. And you said, hey, you know, you're a busy person. And that's true. How many of us are busy? I know you are, too. And we tend to go about our daily lives completely disconnected from what we're feeling. Mm. And emotional CPR has been developed as a crisis intervention program, but it's also something that we can take out just into our daily interactions and connections with one another. And as we learn to sit with other people and be fully present, we also find that we start to sit with ourselves, Mm. sit with our own feelings, our own emotions. So it's a way to really reconnect both with each other and with ourselves. It's a great thing to actually be cognizant of, conscious of, because you say that real lightly that it's a crisis intervention moment. And, you know, I've heard the mm-hmm. term enough now that I, I don't think about it so much. I think about, you know, a counselor or a doctor jumping in there. But you actually, your goal is right. to train people to assist others through an emotional crisis. When you put it like that, you know, I think, what? <laughs> What are these circles that we're doing that create these emotional crises that suddenly people, we all need to be trained to help people go through emotional crisis? But I think what really piqued my interest is the stats that you were giving me on vets, on veterinarians, and mm-hmm. uh, even the suicide rate is incredible. So that makes right. more sense in context of why you got into this. So tell us a little bit more about the, the job. So absolutely. Veterinarians, unfortunately, right now are are facing quite a crisis. 
And we have an exceedingly high suicide rate in our profession. And most people don't know that. You ask the general public if they would recommend our profession, and about 70, 71% of them would say yes. You talk to veterinarians and look at the data, and actually only 40% would recommend the profession, which is a pretty significant disparity. And someone says, well, you know, veterinarians play with puppies and kittens all day. What is there to be depressed about or, or upset about? Why on earth would a veterinarian think about suicide? And it's not obviously a, a singular problem. It's multifactorial, everything from very high student debt load to a lower starting salary, uh, moral distress, dealing with euthanasias and making decisions where finances may be tight from the client standpoint. Um, dealing with compassion fatigue and burnout, just being in, in very long hours, uh, high stress days and peer pressure. And these days as well, some of the issues with social media and social media bullying, mm-hmm. you know, we have Yelp reviews and platforms and forums where people are able to one-sidedly speak their mind, but maybe the doctor isn't able to take a stance and say, well, that's not actually my side of the story or what happened. Mm-hmm. And veterinarians tend to be very intuitive, sensitive, high-achieving, perfectionistic individuals on the whole (laughs) when you look at the data. And so we take things personally. And emotional CPR, the beauty of it is it's a way for peers to connect, talk about moral distress, and be with one another and recognize, hey, you know what? I'm not alone in this. Mm -hmm. And it's not specifically therapy. So we're not training therapists. We're training anybody and anyone to use this modality and just be present. So it could be something that I use with a veterinary colleague or a veterinary uh, technician, a receptionist even, or an office manager, or it could be that you are in the grocery store and suddenly somebody's having a breakdown in the aisle. And and what do you do with that? How can you be present as opposed to not knowing what to do? Or, you know, some people just become panicked or they don't want to deal with the situation. And your ability to just be present with that person could be the difference between life and death. Yeah. So the CPR stands for connecting, empowering, and revitalizing. So nothing to do with Correct. pulmonary. Well, maybe I shouldn't say nothing to do with pulmonary stress, but <laughs> it is. But it's emotional, emotional connection. Is it is it dangerous to to deputize laymen to do something like this, or is it helpful? Dangerous. Goodness, that I would say that's a very strong word. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's helpful and beneficial because ultimately what we're doing, again, we're not training therapists, but we're training someone how to sit with feelings and emotions of the person that they are resonating with. And ultimately, to be able to get that person that's in crisis to whatever therapist or resource they might need. Yes. And um, so certainly if, you know, if it's outside the realms of what general public is able to do, then we would want to facilitate finding the right avenue of mental health care and mental health support. But so many programs out there are about questioning and immediately referring. And mm-hmm. what we have found through many, many years of doing these trainings, and in fact, we just had a group call, we were talking about uh, doing evidence-based research and publication on this, just by the very nature of being with somebody just sitting with them and listening to them can bring somebody out of crisis mm-hmm. because most of the time that's what we want, right? We just want to be heard. Yeah. We don't want to be fixed. We don't want to be told what to do. And there's tremendous responsibility that, that we feel as individuals, right? As soon as somebody tells you they're having a problem, what's the first thing that you want to do? Fix it. Fix it. <laughs> and so suddenly in your mind, you have five, 10 different ways of, oh, I'm going to help them do this and I'm going to tell them to do that. And veterinarians in particular, what do we do? We're diagnosticians. We are trained to fix things, to make them better. And there's a huge relief of not having the responsibility to fix, Ah. but to simply be present. Present. Love it. Just be present. Let it it flow between you and the other person and let it flow within yourself to, to learn to be comfortable with what it is that we're feeling because most of us are walking around disconnected between our head and our heart. Right. Wise counsel, really wise counsel. And here's mm. the one thing that is amazing about veterinarians in general. And I think, and, and especially you, you have, you have an ultra sensitivity to this, but you recognize behavior as signs of pain. 
well. Uh, and yeah. that's that's a gift. That's a real gift. And I, mm. I can understand how recognizing that behavior as a sign of pain and then being present with that could really help people. It's the recognizing first and then the solution is the connection, is the listening, it's the uh, being, being Absolutely. with. And it's brilliant that you bring that up because it really is about nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do with our horses, with our, our pets and our patients every day is reading body language, mm-hmm. looking at the eyes, the facial expressions, posture, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's an animal posturing, you know, ears back and how they stand or even a person that you're with or their arms folded across their chest or they removed or they depressed and looking down mm-hmm. and being able to recognize those signs and then feel that within your own body and process what's coming up for you to help give that person a platform to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, that's a, a wonderful comment, uh, insight on your part to bring up. It really is about nonverbal connection and communication. Well, it's it's what you do well, and it's what I think veterinarians, we appreciate about veterinarians when they're around our horses, if they're a good ones. That, um, that, and one of the things, one of the areas that I couldn't, couldn't get you off the phone without asking about, too, is we were talking about <laughs> pain. Oh, gosh. This is such a big one. Saddle, saddle fitting and, and recognizing oh, pain in our horses. And there are so much changes that go on with our horses, the muscling and the weight and the seasons. And, and you talk about saddle support area, SSA. And um, I would love for you just to give us a, a little diatribe on that, you know, and, and tell us about pain and saddle fitting and what you do particularly to help us with that. Well, thank you. That's a, a great introduction to walk through a big door. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's such a, a huge topic. And yet, I think one of the most important, we're talking about recognizing horses in pain and, and specifically saddle fit. And going through veterinary training, at least when I went through school, there wasn't any discussion of saddle fit. It's all uh, treating the parts. You know, how you have a lameness in a foot or a lameness in a hawk. What do you do specifically for that area? But it's so imperative that we look at the big picture. We have to look at the entire animal. It would be akin to... Uh, treating a basketball player for having a bad knee and yet that basketball player is playing in flip-flops as yeah. opposed to you know a proper <laughs> pair of athletic tennis shoes and mm-hmm. um, so when we look at saddle fit and saddles have been around for you know centuries the tree actually came into existence thousands of years ago I hundreds of years ago um, specifically for fighting wars when warriors realized that if they had a platform between themselves and the horse's back, that the horses lasted longer. Mm. And then we got into the age of, you know, factories and machining. And suddenly anybody who had a horse could have a, a factory made saddle. And I think we lost sight after the cavalry of how to properly fit saddles when we tipped into mass production, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. So you're absolutely right. Horses grow and change throughout their lifetimes. The bones are not skeletally mature until they're sometimes six years of age. And how often have I heard as a veterinarian, you know, standing with a client with a two or three year old horse, well, I'm not going to invest in a saddle that fits properly now because my horse is going to keep changing. So I'm going to wait until he's older. And that's the exact opposite philosophy of the one we need to have in order to have these animals grow and develop properly and be pain-free, we have to facilitate the proper equipment. Mm -hmm. And a horse at two years of age, three years of age is is obviously not going to be the same when it's eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. And then you add in disease processes or, you know, 12 months off for rehabilitation of a tendon or ligament injury, or even something like a colic, you know, maybe the horse is out of commission for six or eight weeks recovering from a colic or a colic surgery, and they lose top line, they lose core conditioning. And I think if I can be so bold, I think it's very ignorant of us to assume that what fits today will fit again in one year, three years, six years down the road. How how many of us wear the same pair of shoes when we're eight years old and when we're 28 years old, you know, right. it's, it's just a biological system. So right, we the change. Saddle support area, yeah. Right. And the saddle support area in itself is dictated okay. by the horse's anatomy, be it a pony or a Belgian draft horse. Okay. And we're looking at the area right behind the shoulder blade called the scapula. 
And then typically we don't want to have tree pressure or contact beyond the area of what we call the last rib or the 18th rib. That's most horses have 18 ribs. And we have to keep our weight bearing area over the rib cage so that we have an area of support. And when we start creeping outside of that area, and I see this most often with Western saddles, very long, very heavy, typically, mm-hmm. we start putting pressure over kidneys, lumbar spine, ovaries, and mares, and we have resulting behavioral issues, bucking, bolting, rearing, trouble going uphill, downhill, getting low in front of a cow, turning a barrel, jumping a jump. And most veterinarians, when presented with that, start looking at the parts. Is there a lameness in the leg? Is there pain in the neck? Can we inject an anti-inflammatory? Can we give a medication? But nobody's looking at the equipment. And if we don't have the right gear to do our jobs, we will compensate and change how we move and things start to break down. Right. Exactly. And, and, uh, just changing even skirts and things like that, you can you can shrink up the saddle, but if it's still not fitting correctly, how do you get that e- even distribution, even if it's not going up over the lumbar? Right. So uh, this is a, a tricky situation with saddles, English and Western, is most trees are rigid, right? It's one right. static moment in time. It's a rawhide tree or a rallied or um, in English saddles, it could be wood with mm-hmm. steel, it could be plastic. Uh, and there are some saddles on the market, both English and Western, that have some degree of adaptability or adjustability. Uh, but that being said, depending on the situation, sometimes we're reliant on changing what I like to say is changing the socks rather than the shoes. Ideally, okay. we have shoes that fit. But if a horse is suddenly changed, obviously a client may not be able to go buy a new saddle right off the bat. Is it something that we can temporarily, I always highlight that, temporarily band-aid? with a change in saddle pad or shims. Mm -hmm. Um, And that does provide an option to alleviate pressure where you have these symmetries, one shoulder that's bigger than another, or a horse that's had an injury and is recovering, that um, we can facilitate making changes over time until that horse is back to being in a symmetrical state. But wherever there is pressure, you will not have proper muscle development or movement, and it certainly Mm -hmm. impedes impedes the horse, both, both physically and mentally. Okay, so you you can use some things to temporarily push through, but how do people know, um, do you actually have clients that call you in to say, could you tell me if this saddle is fitting me properly, or could you help me purchase a saddle that would fit this horse better, or is it that you're always just dealing with the other side of it, which is the fallout? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yes, no, yes, 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 and no. Absolutely, I would say large percentage of my practice has been dedicated to just that clients who call and say, my horse has been looked at by the vet. It may be a saddle fit problem, or we can't find the underlying cause, or simply I've got a new horse or an old horse and I'm looking for proper saddle fit and I don't know what to do. I don't Mm -hmm. know where to start. And so absolutely. I, I spend time with clients on that and we start without any saddles, even on the railing. We just look at the horse. Look at the horse's anatomy, look at the rider's anatomy, talk about goals. What is, mm-hmm. what is it you want to do? What do you want to achieve? And then using years and years and years and years of experience with knowing what's out there on the market, being mm-hmm. able to try to guide that client in the right direction for what options are available. Nice. And most of the time, a, a big percentage of the time, we are able to find something that works, whether it be a custom built saddle, something that's adjustable or something even off the shelf that just happens to fit properly. And there are extremes. Uh, I've had a couple of patients with extremely short backs and owners that maybe needed a larger uh, platform on which to sit. And honestly, they were challenging. Mm -hmm. And that can be very emotionally distressing for me and for for the client trying to make that situation work. And sometimes you just bow to it and say, we're going to do the best that we can given what we've got. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think one of the take-home messages would be that people need to understand that when they purchase a horse, the budget for a properly fitted saddle should be included in the budget of purchasing Very that good. animal. Very frustrating to have an extremely limited situation where someone has either limited their finances by spending everything they have on buying the horse and then nothing left over for equipment, or maybe the opposite, a very, very expensive horse. Uh, where somebody has the funds, but they're not willing to make that 
commitment. And I've seen both both extremes. Yeah, yours is not an easy job. I I so appreciate that you're um, you're kind about it too. How do, there's so many more dimensions to you, Joanna Robson, and I wouldn't be able to get it all in, in this one. I wouldn't even put you through it, but it's exhausting. But you, but you've got to come back. But I, how do people find out about you? And um, you know, do you have a site where people can read more about what you've been talking about? I want to hear more about ECPR and and anything that's really concerning people between themselves and their vet right now. Well, thank you so much for that. Yes, I do. Absolutely. I have my regular website, which is my business name, and that is www.inspiritusequine.com. And I get raised eyebrows on the Inspiritus part because obviously it's not, not super easy, but it actually, in Latin, it translates to working inspired or working nice. in spirit. And I think when a horse is moving pain-free, that's exactly what we see. We've all been there where you just catch your breath and see an animal moving in complete harmony. And there's just, there's no words, right? There's nothing to express it. Um, And then I have links to articles and videos on my website and certainly on my YouTube channel as well. Um, And published a book specifically called Recognizing the Horse in Pain, which I wrote for clients with those questions because obviously not everybody's local. I have clients all across the globe. I have connections in Australia, Germany, Canada, and they want the information but don't have somebody local to provide it for them. And I recognized that I was answering the same questions again and again and again and again. I thought, how can I tackle this? Well, we'll write a book and then anybody has access to the information. And it's been fun over the years to have those books shipped to places like Russia, Japan even. Yeah, just to know the information is getting out there. That's what it's all about. So good. Well, I hope that uh, our listeners will take it to heart too and and get the book and look on your site and any questions that they have, they can write to you or, you know, maybe they'll get their answer in that book. I'm so, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy that you're, you're so potent (laughs) and getting things around. I'm so happy to have met you too. So we'll have you back. I would appreciate that. And it's been just such a joy to connect with you. And I know there's just so much information to try to pack into such a small period of time, but I'm available for people who have questions, and I really appreciate what you're doing, Debbie, and the chance to get to know you better. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joanna. Thanks for being on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you. Have a brilliant day. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the herd. Dear Monty, you have worked a lot with racehorses. During all these years, has anything changed for the better in the race industry, in your opinion? Is the training system of racehorses more horse-friendly in the U.S. and in Europe now? Monty's answer. It's true I have worked in the racing industry most of my life. It has changed for the better. In my opinion, the U.S. lags behind the rest of the world in making needed changes. Scandinavia probably leads the world, and the U.K. and Europe are still well ahead of the curve where the U.S. is concerned. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Hi, I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it too on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider. It doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online too on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. Where in the wide, wide world of sports is it going on here? Yeah. Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged. Currently, he's meeting them in Australia. So all of the month of January and February, he is down in Australia training thoroughbreds. And we're sending all our hopes and prayers and money down to Australia to help with all those horrific fires that have been going on down there. And uh, he is in the Melbourne area, so he's safe, thanks to those who are asking. But their eyes are starting to get a little scratchy, and uh, it's no fun out there. 
so he's coming back to us March 6th through 8th. He will have his first of this year's Horse Sense and Healing, one of six that we'll have this year. And then May 1 through 3, we'll have the next Horse Sense and Healing at Flag is Up Farms in Solvang. May 14th, that's historic. We've got Monty's 85th birthday. So I got to put that in the calendar. And then May 18 through 22, we have the advanced exams with Denise Heinlein and Monty in uh, Solvang at Flag is Up Farms at the Monty Roberts International Learning Center. And then June 21, 22, 23 of 2020, we'll have Monty Roberts, Temple Grandin, Rick Lamb, Ashley Mancuso. We have a whole lineup for people for three days of working with horses and speaking and presenting on those qualities of horses that um, are so good for the inside of people. It's it's the coolest thing. It's in our third year now, too. And you can go on the movement2020.com for more of that information, a special website just for that. And then June 29 through July 33, sorry, July 3 is Monty Special Training Brazil. That's for Portuguese speaking. Then July 24 through 26 is another Horse Sense and Healing. August 3 through 7 is our annual favorite week of the year, Monty Special Training. And then August 17 through 28 is Gentling Wild Horses. That's the one that um, Jamie took and Jen's wishing. And then September 11 through 13 is Horse Sense and Healing again. And we are firming up another equine facility management course with CHA. Stay tuned. Oh, goody. And you can find all of this and more on the website, montyroberts.com. Has the schedule. If you're a little bit confused, you're not sure what to look for or how to find it, you can give them a call. And the phone number is 805-688-6288. Or if you can't remember that phone number because you're busy driving a car, riding a horse, or mugging a stall, go to montyroberts.com. And the phone number can be found there. It's easy. And for details about today's show, go to horsemanshipradio.com. This is episode 152, by the way. And you're going to find links, photos, and more information about today's guests and topics. And don't forget to follow Monty Roberts on social media. He has a Facebook page, Monty Roberts. He's also on Twitter and Instagram. His handle there is Monty underscore Roberts. And get the app. That way you can have the Horsemanship Radio Show and every other horse or every other podcast on the Horse Radio Network by downloading our free app. Just go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network and download it today. It's free and easy to use and it works on iTunes and, and or iTunes, <laughs> Apple and Android devices. That's true. <laughs> it's late. That's true. It's late, Debbie. <laughs> I know. You just got back from a conference too. I'm really glad you're here for me. Thank you. And many thanks to our sponsors too. That's Omega Fields. That's Cavallo Horse and Rider and Monty Roberts University. Be sure to visit all those other shows that Jen was just talking about too. They're great on the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. <laughs>